from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Uh, today around the table we have... Jane Fitch, I'm an actor and a musician. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. And Kit Lavoy, I am a director and a writer. Uh, today we're going to be talking about auditioning. Um, auditioning is often viewed by uh, actors as being uh, a necessary evil. Uh, to to the work that they have to do. Um, but there's really many ways in which being a good auditioner and auditioning is really the coin of the realm. It's the thing that allows you to do the work that you want to do and train to do. Um, it's, it's kind of the gate that you have to pass through. And a lot of times as a working actor, there will be whole months where what you do is audition. Um, so it's something that's good to get good at, it's something that's good to get perspective on, and it's something that uh, uh, will be good to talk about. Um, so uh, before we start, uh, let's define our terms a little bit um, in terms of what different kinds, because auditions actually cover an awful lot of things. Uh, you can audition for a theater piece, you can audition for film or television. Uh, something that people who are not actors might be less familiar with is that you uh, audition for um, uh, agents and, uh, and, and, and managers if classes. You, and for classes schools. Uh, for schools mm-hmm. um, you can audition for a casting director or for a director or for an agent are there any other groups that you might audition for that covers it for now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there's generally, uh, although there are certainly exceptions, for acting there are kind of two general approaches to uh, to a first audition, which is largely what we're talking about today, which is either you come in pre- with a monologue prepared um, or you come in with sides either that you've been given or you get when you arrive there uh, that are basically pieces of the project that you're going to be working on that you read uh, with someone once you get there. Are there any other... I was just going to say there's also uh, generals for casting directors and then auditions for specific projects. I guess generals fall in more of like in the realm of what you would do if you were meeting an agent or a manager. So it's like that's an audition meeting. Yeah, it's like for them to get to know you so they know what projects to pull you in for later. So, I mean, as we're saying, auditioning is a big part of what an actor does and is really kind of their entree into almost anything that they would want to do. Let's talk a little bit first about the goals of an audition. Uh, how do you define a successful audition? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's not necessarily that you got the part. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess for me, and this is, this is after considerable journey of, through different feelings about, about the answer to this question, I feel, I, I, I guess I don't try, I th- try not to think about it in terms of if it was successful or unsuccessful, but I feel... Successful if I've been able to integrate it into my day, if I've been able to feel calm doing it, if I'm able to do basically what I planned, Mm -hmm. if I feel like I meet the people and I have kind of a moment with them where I feel like they see me and I see them. And if I can have one sort of real interaction, that 
really helps. Even if it comes of like, I forgot my book and it's a musical audition and so haha we have to laugh and like make up a song with the pianist or whatever. Even if it's like that, like that can be more success. I can feel more successful about that if I've had a real interaction with them. Mm-hmm. I think anytime you walk out of an audition and there's a, a feeling of, of mutual initial respect or there's an, an initial sense that the people you're in the room with were good people that you would want to work with and are talented at what they do and you feel as if you've given the impression that they have some sort of respect or or enjoyment of, of your time being there and that you are competent at what you do. Um, depending on the addition, your your goals will, will differ. Sometimes you are specifically coming in for a part. Sometimes it is a general just to get to know somebody. Sometimes I've auditioned just because it's been a long time since I've auditioned and I just need to start and I'm happy if I, if I you know, get through uh, the monologue in the moment without breaking down. Um, but in general, I think anytime you're able to, as, as Jane said, walk in there and be the real person you are and, and be engaged with the people in the room and both of you come away feeling as if you are both uh, professional artists who are uh, or would be enjoyable to work with. I think you're. that's a yeah. good start. I think if you feel like you've presented yourself well. And I feel like it's, I mean, in some ways, it, it the difference between whether it's a general or whether it's a specific project, I think, blurs in this capacity because e- you don't know what they're looking for for that role. They, you, they might be looking for someone taller or someone shorter. I mean, that's always what they say. Someone blonde or someone whatever. Like, all sorts of things that you can't control. But if you have an interaction with them where they like you, they respect you, they respect the work that you're doing, that's even more valuable. That's that's valuable in the long term, even if you don't get a call back because they're not interested in you for that specific role. Because whether it's general or not, you're meeting them, and if you make a good impression, that's going to pay off later. Mm-hmm. That's something I think that, um, that actors earlier in their career don't always recognize is that there really is if you're trying to build a career there's a long game to all of it and certainly getting the role that you've gone into audition for is it would be a very positive thing and is has got to be at least part of the goal to showing up to the audition at least most of the time um but that especially in new york it is surprising how small the working community is there are tens of thousands, perhaps even more actors in New York, but there are only a few thousand actors who are really working in any meaningful way, and and that may even be a high estimate. Um, So getting in there and that idea of creating the relationships, as you said, Jane, with um, directors and casting directors and agents, um, those are the things that are going to help you build a a career. And, And I will certainly say for myself, when I audition people, I absolutely keep note of people who I liked but were not right for this. And I also absolutely know, having been in auditions for Broadway shows, big shows uh, that I, I've, I've been present for the auditions for, the people who are directing those shows really do too. Um, and, and I know I, w- I was in one audition where someone was coming in and one of the casting directors said to the director, oh, really watch this person. We've been trying to, f- they're really terrific, but we haven't found something right for them. And, and, and that idea that the casting director, who I think a lot of people view as the enemy, was right. really there going to bat and trying to find something for this person that they like, but they hadn't been able to find anything for. I have totally turned around as far as, I think casting directors are awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. 
especially when you find I've had I have several relationships with casting directors they auditioned I did today actually this guy uh, Arnold Mangioli cast me in a piece that I wasn't able to do a few years ago I haven't seen him for years but he remembers who I was and like and I you just know they I mean they're you have to remember that they are doing a job too I got a piece of advice. I don't know if this is related, but it's really important. When I was just starting to audition, and I had been in for a lot of casting directors once, and I was starting to get called in again, but I hadn't got a lot of callbacks. I hadn't got uh, many jobs, and I was talking to a woman who's a young director in New York, and she said, you are going to have to go in for these casting directors a few times before they're going to take a chance to bring you in for the director because if they don't know your work at all they don't know that you're consistent even if you do a good audition so you have to develop a relationship because it's their job to show the director talented competent dependable people and they put themselves on the line if they put if they bring you in there so one, and like now that I've been in for these casting directors multiple times I don't go in just for them I go in for the director the first time because they know my work after a while I think, I think it's so important <laughs> I think what's, I, what's, what's really important I think uh, both Kit and Jane have, have hit on it is that one of the things I think that will help you have a successful audition is to understand what everybody else's job is and how you can make their job easier mm-hmm. uh, or to how to help them succeed at their job and as Jane said the casting director's job is on the line as well so I think particularly with younger actors, you have this sense that agents or managers or casting directors are these gatekeepers who are somehow keeping you out of you know where you want to be. They're preventing you from your dreams, and, <laughs> you know. And and it's it's actually quite the opposite. You know, you're there as the actor to potentially solve their problem either immediately or long term. They would you know if if you're if I'm a casting director and I've got to cast 300 parts in a movie and I five other jobs to do and I'm under all sorts of pressure to get this right and for the casting director it's the first time working with a big director or a big studio or a big Broadway uh, production company they've got to get it right too and I, I think they want nothing more than for you to walk in and it would be a huge relief for them if you were a great person and you know were able to demonstrate your talent and were something they, they want to work with that's that's a huge relief to them so uh I think one of the things in terms of being successful for the audition is understanding that the the people you're auditioning for most likely want you to have a very successful audition as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I have auditioned thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people at this point. I don't think ever anyone has walked in a room where I don't hope they're terrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the person behind the table is rooting for you to do really well. Because that's what you're there for. I mean, that's what everyone's there for. They want you to be for. the one, so yeah. they can <laughs> they can move on. Yeah, <laughs> well, good, so they can put you in there. I mean, even if like they might know the minute you walk in that you're not right, right for what they want, but they still want you to be good, right? So that they can bring you in for the next thing. And I learned something recently where I heard that, and I think this might be especially true for film and TV, but casting directors keep a small group of actors that they trust, they know they like, in their back pocket. And so if a director is looking for, you know, uh, someone in a, in a, not necessarily a small role, but um, they'll, they'll give the director two options, two or three options, and say, these are your options from the people that they know very well. And the director then chooses between three people. Mm-hmm. So if you've created a relationship with a casting director of that sort, your chances are so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, of being seen by the director A and being cast because you're one in three as opposed to one in a gazillion. I think one of the other things that's important in terms of defining for yourself if you're the actor what makes 
a successful audition is to have a very specific understanding of the circumstances surrounding that audition. I am a member of, of, of Equity, so I go to a lot of EPAs with the full understanding that most of the EPAs I go to, those parts are already cast. There's there's not a, a, an agent or a manager who has you know, put my headshot or resume across a casting director's desk. And there's often times when I'll go audition for, for Broadway stuff or off-Broadway stuff where I know that uh, uh, the stuff is already cast and or in some cases I knew that the casting director was big enough. The casting director... Uh, would not even be in the room. It would be uh, their assistant. Mm-hmm. My goal then is obviously not to get the part. The part's been cast, and the person responsible for casting the part has already done their job. It is not there that day. My job then is to, again, be as, as talented as I can be and be as, as real as I can be and, and demonstrate that I'm somebody worth working with and work, worth knowing so that the casting assistant can say, you know what, I've, this guy's come in on three auditions now. I think we should call him in for something else. And, and you are looking to build a relationship in that sense. Just for people who are out of town or may not be equity or whatever, what is an EPA? I don't even know what it stands for. Equity, equity principal audition. audition. Okay. <laughs> There's also ECC, which is equity chorus calls. Okay. Um, I don't know what rank of theaters, but they all, because like, not everybody has to have no. an EPA, but it's an equity rule that at least the Broadway shows and off-Broadway shows. Off-Broadway shows, and I think and a lot of the big regions. And shows, yeah. yeah. Big and tours. Have to, are required to do open calls where anyone who's in the union can come and audition. Like, so even if it's cast. Even if it's cast. <laughs> right. But it actually is something that technically, technically it cannot be cast until they right. have had them. But oh, they okay. have people in mind <laughs> <laughs> that they're going to call, you know. Okay. Well, you, you, I mean, something that, that you brought up there I think is, is important to realize in terms of... I know, I know actors who sometimes go and they say, well, I went in and the casting director wasn't there. I was one of his assistants or one of his associates. Every casting director that I know takes the opinion of their associates and their assistants incredibly seriously. Mm -hmm. That those are people who they send out to things not to fill space, not to be there in a seat, but because they want people to be out there uh, whose feedback they can trust. And it, it just goes along with something I think is just a good rule anyway, which is treat everyone well. Mm-hmm. Um, because you never know who, and I will tell you, there are so many people in casting offices who you would never think get their opinion heard, who absolutely get their opinion heard. And the fact that you're a nice person is a very important thing mm-hmm. to somebody who's looking way. to cast you. I think yeah. of it as getting as many people on my team as possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a great way to look. And it's like, wh- whoever they are, whether it's someone mm-hmm. who's seeing a show that I'm in, whether it's the monitor at the audition, I mean, just like making people's lives easier. And you, I, I feel like being a good presence at, at an audition is almost better or more important. Like if you're just, if you can be kicking back me up on this because I've never actually been behind the table, but I've realized as I go to more auditions that most of what comes across is totally out of my control, that it's just about who I am and the mm-hmm. way that I carry myself. And, like, I did an audition today where the sides were, like, half a page long. And I'm like, what? how can they possibly see anything from this? This is, I'm not really doing anything. I'm saying two lines as I look for a water pitcher. But it's like that you, if, as long as you are there, present, and kind, and respectful, that's, yeah. like, almost the most you can do. <laughs> I think something that you said a minute ago, Jane, I think is really important, which is that you really can't 
you can't try to second guess what it is that they're looking for. All you can do is go in and be you. Because especially if you're auditioning in New York or you're auditioning in L.A., there is going to be someone out there who is the part they're looking for. And if you go through several steps of auditions and callbacks, they're going to figure out who it is. And if, it, and if it's you have been pretending to be what you think they want, there's someone who's in there who actually is that thing they want, and they're going to pick them. And the danger is, if you actually are the thing they want and don't realize it, and you are in there pretending to be something else, well, you're going to miss that part. And it's so mm-hmm. great... The, la- the last two parts I've gotten, actually, the directors have said, well, the, the musical I did uh, in the festival, he said, you walked in and I knew that, that it was you. And I, on the one hand, I was kind of like, oh, well, that has nothing, that's, to- it has nothing to do with my brilliant work and my audition, you know. But, but on the other hand, I was like, I knew that he wanted me to play that part. Mm-hmm. And it was so satisfying in the process. And I was able to just, like, not second guess that at all because I knew that he didn't want me to be somebody else. He wanted me to be myself, and that is just the way you want to be working. I think you never want to be in a rehearsal room trying to be somebody that you're not. Yeah, and and I think it just I it's something I think is incredibly liberating. And I talk I talk to a lot of actors about this because I, I think it helps the uh, audition experience, which is that the number of times that I have been in an audition room. And someone has come in, given a great audition, and left. And then I turn, and the other person in the room t- turns and says, Wow, they were terrific. Too bad they're not right for this. Yeah. And they don't get a callback. Um, but at the same time, there are other times where someone comes in and is not particularly good, is not particularly inspiring, but is a really interesting type for the role you're casting. You say, You know what? They're interesting enough. It's worth bringing them back in and work with them a bit and see if today was just a bad day, if they respond well to direction, etc., etc., etc. And I think that that idea of that both ideas that one, if if you don't get a callback, it doesn't mean you weren't terrific, and if you get a callback, it, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you were terrific. I think kind of yeah, exactly. frees you up a lot That's to that idea of you yeah. go in and you do your thing as best as you can. And if you're what they're looking for, they'll pick you. If you're not, they won't. Mm-hmm. And they'll keep you in mind for things you might be good for uh-huh. later on. And so if you aren't right for it, they're not doing you any favor by casting. Right. I think people have, and it probably comes from like your early stages as an actor, this idea that the best actor gets the part. And that is not so much a part, like, and it probably in like a smaller pool, like where a really tough role, like you might put the best actor in the part, even if they're not right, just because in order to get the, you know, to get the play across to people, you, you know, even if they're not right. But in a professional situation, there is somebody right for that part. So it's not about being better than the person next to you. It's about being more right. For me, where that comes from of, like, the best person, in some ways I wish the best person could got the part because then somehow it's in my control. Then I feel like as long as I am the best, which, like, how do you make sure that you're that? But then you can, like... Prepare, prepare, prepare your ass off or whatever and, you know, try to be and feel like you can do something about it when in reality... But then you're trying to be better than the people who else came to the audition, which is fruitless. (laughs) Well, I know Tim Tim and I went to grad school together and I I remember 
uh, talking when we were there that there there were some people who got used all the time in directing projects and things like that, and that there were other people who got used very rarely but were very talented. And I remember thinking at the time that it was those people who were very talented but didn't get used a lot because they were so specific. Those are the people who are actually going to work. And as it turns out, Austin, uh, who, uh, bassist, who we went to school with, is a tremendous actor but a very, very, very specific type. He has, has worked a lot a lot since he's been out of school and didn't work a lot when it was a matter of we need somebody who can play Tregorin and we just need someone who's a good actor and is going to be able to, you know, fill it in because that's that's the role we have to cast and we have a limited pool of people to pull from. But it actually is something that when they're pulling from a much larger pool, sort of the more interesting and individual and specific people who are willing to stand up and be that thing are the people who end up getting getting a lot more work. Now that we've talked a bit about the goals and a bunch of other things, too, <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about what it is to be in the audition room, because there is something that is, it really is a social situation. It really is, is something that you need to navigate like a social situation, and, and what does that mean, Jane? Well, I was just, I, it totally is a social situation, and I find that the thing that's difficult about it is I think some, a lot of times the best actors are not the best auditioners for this specific reason is that people who are very sensitive and receptive to people around them ha have a harder time taking up space in the room. Like sometimes they're running behind, they just want to get you out of there, they're tired, they've been there for six hours, and it is the, everything I can do not to rush through my scene and be like, oh, I'm trying to make them happy because that's what I want, is them to like me and be happy and cast me. Mm -hmm. Um, but to, you have to read the social situation and kind of, you know, insert yourself. Right. But not be too, not be too, I don't know, generous with, don't give away, don't give everything away. You have to keep your side of this, realize that like, it's not just about pleasing them. Mm -hmm. Though, of course you stay respectful. It's not like you want to mouth off to them or anything, but like, it's your job too it's your space too you have a right to be there I have time. a tendency to say like you know if someone says thank you for coming in I say I say oh it's my pleasure or oh thank you for having me like you like know, it's their house like, right 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 <laughs> exactly like you're a visitor it's very important mm. that it's your workplace too yeah and it's just transitive it's that you know being like of course you know when they say thank you for coming in yes of course or any sort of pleasantries whatever but oh knowing how to own that space as yours too is Really important. It's everybody's time, and and I think that everyone is there to solve the problem of casting mm -hmm. that role, and and the time that you're in there, you're part of that conversation as much as they are. I think it is important. I think it it's something that I have heard often, and, and honestly, there's something about it that I don't totally buy into. But the idea that you need to treat an audition as an opportunity to work, and I think there actually is something to that. But although there's something that I I can't put my finger on that I don't totally trust about that idea. But well, I feel like sometimes it is really that, and sometimes it's not. I mean, sometimes you go in and you have a side or something that is there's really something there, and there's a, something to work with there. And sometimes the director works with you, and and you get to you get to work it, and it is an opportunity to work. Sometimes I feel like, especially sometimes musical theater auditions, you go in with your book, you don't even know what you're going to sing. They're like, what do you have? You're like, I have blah, 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 blah. You might sing a song you haven't sung for four months. You might, you know, it's like, 
you're just pulling out whatever. And in that case, I think of thinking of that as my opportunity to work today, it's just not satisfying for me. Mm -hmm. I think having a little bit of peace, for me, having a little bit of peace with myself about saying, this is hard. It's a hard thing to do, walking into a room, wanting a job very badly, and they might look at you for 10 seconds and decide that you're not right, and you will never know why, or there's nothing you can do, and it's your life. That's what you want to do with your life, you know? That's hard. Especially once that is what you're doing with your life. There's... Uh, you know, the, I think it is something that somehow when people, even actors, think about auditions of some other thing. But ultimately, it's a job interview. Ultimately, what for people yeah. who are not actors would it be like to have this idea that every you get a job, and no matter how good you do at it, four months later or whatever, you will have to be out there interviewing every day for (laughs) jobs that are unbelievably competitive and that that is the life that an actor has that they've got to go out and interview constantly in hopes of getting a short-term job. (laughs) I I will agree with you that it is absolutely a a difficult thing. I'll I'll, I'll concede that. However, (laughs) I could sit here and tell you uh, some of the most disastrous auditions Mm -hmm. I've had, uh, but I don't think we have enough room on the internet <laughs> um, but yeah but there has to be an acceptance at some point that that you actually you don't have to this is this is the life we have chosen right. and there that's needs different. to be an ex- there that's very if if I you know I've come home off auditions or meetings with with agents that did not go well or casting directors where I wanted something else to come out of it and it didn't uh, and I've had a great amount of frustration everyone in this room has has, has been there when I've, I've shared those, <laughs> those moments of frustration. And, and I think you're allowed them. But uh, I, I think what I would caution against, not, not to argue the point, but just to caution against, is I think if you allow that to carry into the next audition or the next gig or, or things like that, you know, you're, you're, go- you're going to wind up hurting your own talent and you're going to wind up hurting your own chances because you're going to wind up, you're going to wind up resentful and, and frustrated. And, you know... Well, that's, that's not somebody somebody wants to work with, and it's probably not who you are in your life. And that's it when you come in. Yeah, I think that like that's why for me making the audition process as pleasant as I can, mm-hmm. knowing that there are inherent difficulties or inherent things I don't like about it. Like for example, I don't like to carry shoes with me, and I don't like to wear heels. Mm. So I'm going to be hard unless I really feel like it's really important for the character. I'm not going to wear heels, and I wore these. I usually wear my huge boots because that's what makes me comfortable. And that, like, if I carry shoes and I carry a dress and I carry all these things and I plan my whole thing and I get there and I change my clothes and I'm all ready and I've made sure to put on the right makeup or whatever and I go in and they don't even look at me and then I walk out, like, it just, mm-hmm. it just feels, like, futile. Whereas it feels like I can make it a part of my day. I mean, always within reason. There, mm-hmm. I've had two TV auditions now where they're like, great, come back for the callback in three hours and put on some makeup. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought I had makeup on, but I guess I don't have <laughs> But you should try, I mean, I'm but, not... Right, like, within reason, you should try to... Like, it's the thing about presenting yourself. Exactly. Like, obviously you want to look as if you care right. about it, because it is a job interview. Right. 
or maybe not. Maybe that's the, that's who you are as a person. It's somebody who doesn't care, and you're only going to be cast as somebody who doesn't care. And in that case, go for it <laughs> and just live your well, life. Part that of way. that, but and like to dress, you know, dress nicely and neatly. And well, I think actually shower, more to the maybe. point, and I think <laughs> we'll we should have a whole other podcast about this episode about this later. Is it really is about dressing like your product? Yeah, that, that ultimately that's what it, you as an actor need to know mean, what you are, what your type is, what you feel like and dress like what you feel like dress like but okay you. that's really that's true but that's really hard I mean because also there are people who say you have to look like the part you have like you have to because I've heard I don't necessarily believe this but I've heard people say casting directors have no imagination you have to go in and be you have to look like the part I don't find that to be useful for me because A I think casting directors have an imagination and B I think that my guess of what they think the part should look like is not going to be right anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like there is a certain... You need to... like. Well, this is me after however many years of experience I have. This undoubtedly will change. But I try to do like the version of me that's closest to the nymphomaniac that I'm... I think that's what I mean, to dress like Be what your product, you, which though. is, yeah, what are you going to be in this part? Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, but not... How can I pretend I'm not me? And also, just to dress up to look... I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't I, show up in a suit for an audition unless it's a very specific audition that somebody... I'll, I'll say that. I've, I've made this mistake. And par- part of, of, of being an actor, I think, is, is through your process and your development, through your career, is having an understanding of what your, your product is. I think actors, myself and included in this, have an inner resentment against that because you have the impulse that I can play anything. I'm 30, I will play Lear right <laughs> now. <laughs> you know? um, and, and I think it's good to have that ambition and constantly be challenging yourself, but I think there's also there's a value to understanding the commercial aspect yes. of, mm-hmm. of, of the business and the art. And mistakes I used to make was I would, I would dress up, I'd wear my best clothes that I would wear to church or out and... You know, same outfit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's and and those things were not my product. And I, once I became more and more aware of really what I was constantly getting called in for, what people were saying I was right for, what people were casting me as, and having an understanding of how I could go through my wardrobe and say, you know what, these are the things that are similar to that that are yeah. still me. These are the things I should wear. And I think the hardest part for actors is that there are no hard and fast rules. People will try to tell you there's some sort of secret code that if you line your resume up a certain way, and if it's if your headshot is vertical as opposed to, <laughs> to horizontal, or that if you come into the audition and don't shake their hand because they might be a germ, uh, germaphobe, all these rules are really kind of nonsensical. And the best rule is to really find the best sense of who you are. I, I know an actor, and I do not recommend this, but I know an actor out in L.A. Uh, who... His product is he's a very, very good-looking guy who is incredibly uh, 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 just sort of laissez-faire about everything, just sort of laid back about everything. And he used to show up at auditions in, in sandals and, and shorts, no matter what the part was, uh, would intentionally not really prepare. And they'd be like, do you have the sides? And he'd say, oh, yeah. And he would just sort of pull them out of his back pocket, all crumpled up. Half the time, he would take his shirt off. Because he's like, well, you know, I figure I'm driving on the on the, the beach and it's summer, so I figured I'd have my shirt off. Um, and 
normal person, normal people would say, well, that's not how you audition. That's not professional. That's not how you get a job. But considering what his type was and the fact that he got cast all the time yeah. in TV and films as that guy, in yeah. that particular case, that served him. Yeah. Well, but I, that was his product. I yeah. mean, that's what he yeah. was selling. It wouldn't make sense for someone who was not like that to try to exactly. pull it Because that's one thing I will say. When, some, when somebody comes into an audition and it feels like they're playing a role for you even yeah. before they start their yeah. monologue, it's... Yeah. They're not getting the part. And I have that difficulty personally, and you can't see me, but mm-hmm. I have short hair and glasses and kind of look quirky, or, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty. But, um, <laughs> but I feel going into auditions, and, and sometimes I'll be in auditions with girls who are all made up and in dresses, and I feel, and it, like, every time I'm leaving the house, I'm like, this, I feel ridiculous, because I'm wearing jeans and a shirt with a tight t-shirt over it and I feel like I'm a mess and I know you're supposed to be put together when you go into auditions but I feel like that's who I am and I mean it's nice jeans and a nice t-shirt but like but I feel like that's going to better serve me and having them see who I am I, I think it's something and it's something that you said before about the bias that so many actors have of the hallmark of a great actor is is being is being a chameleon is being able to do Rage. anything and if you really think about it um, and think about actors that you like and actors that you respect and famous actors, how many of them really totally disappear in into a role? most of them, if you heard most really good actors, if you heard that they were playing Hamlet. You'd have a picture in your head of what their Hamlet would look like, and it would probably there would be surprising moments in it and things, but probably it would be pretty close to that. And still, they're actors worthy of respect who, who are terrific. I mean, that's part of. There are a very small select group of actors that you know can do or do do anything, but a lot of it is is a figuring out what you're about, and B, figuring out how to be interesting within that, and C, and this is a whole other discussion we should have, but figuring out how to embrace that, because there are many ways in which you are going to be cast in essentially the same role over and over and over again for your entire career. And, you know, how do you make that fresh and new for yourself every time? There's something to what Kit's saying, for me, again, that goes back to understanding the difference between audition and performance. One of my very close friends from grad school at the end of our our, our term at grad, at, at uh, grad school we were doing these performances and so people were putting a lot of work into picking their theses projects and uh, this one girl picked a particular work and I asked her and I said well, what made you pick this because it wasn't an obvious choice and she said well you know I really want to show my range because you know nobody's seen me like this and I said well that that's true none of us have seen you like this, us, your classmates. No one in the professional world has seen you at all. There's no, there, there's no context for your range. Yeah. So why yeah. you would not want to pick something that, in your case, your first impression is your strength. If you want to build and branch and show how diverse you can be, that's absolutely wonderful. I think it should be every, every artist's goal. But, you know... To first get that audition, to get the job, to get the relationship with the people you're trying to get, it's, it's a nice idea to start with you. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and I think, d- different people see you different ways. My experience in the last few years, and maybe it will continue, maybe it won't, mm-hmm. is 
being cast in things that I would not have seen myself as. I did not think was me. I get the audition, I go, oh my god, I'm not, I'm totally not that. And it turns out that the director thinks I am, and, and it is something, and it, like, and those often, the roles that I don't see myself in, but that someone else sees in me, and it, that's not necessarily about range, mm-hmm. it's about how you come across that you can never really know, I guess. Lots of times those are the, the work that I'm the proudest of. So I think, like, that's an, uh, while it's infuriating as an actor that you don't get to control your work and you don't get to choose necessarily, it's also a wonderful thing about it that you get handed something that you would never have necessarily chosen. Mm. Do you know what I think goes along with this is mm. headshots? Because I feel like that's... The headshot that you pick, it, it needs to represent you as your product and it needs to be the person that's going to be walking into the audition yeah. rooms so that they do know if they're calling you in based on your headshot that th- this is who they're calling in and they're not getting the wrong impression right. from it and they don't end up angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we because we've sort of touched on it, we should move into how to prepare for an audition. Uh, before we do two things, which is one, Jane Fitch, yes. uh, actor, <laughs> musician, <laughs> needs to leave to go to an audition. So... Uh, Good luck. Thank Good luck, you. Jane. Good luck. Good luck. Thanks, all. And the other thing before we move into uh, preparation, uh, having to do with sort of the social situation that we're doing, is I think it's important to embrace the idea that there are sort of rules of the game of auditioning. And I think that there are a lot of actors, uh, when they're starting out, who think uh, auditioning is uh, a very uh, artificial thing, Doing a monologue is not the same thing as doing a scene. Doing a side is not the same thing as doing a scene. And I think the thing to say about that is that that's absolutely true. Um, But it is no less artificial for the people who are auditioning you and people who who are casting directors and directors and agents for a living and see a lot of people auditioning as their job or as part of their job know how to extrapolate out of that thing that is a monologue, that is a side, the thing that they're looking for. Yeah. They, you know, it actually is something that, as Jane said earlier, you know, that a popular misconception is that uh, casting directors don't have a lot of imagination. And it is a difficult thing to become a casting director. There are not many of them. The ones who are are successful and get work as casting directors do so because they're very good at it. And I actually will say the the big casting directors that I have known and worked with, I have been unbelievably impressed with the amount of information they have at their fingertips and how they're able to talk about performance and audition and how they think somebody is going to deliver in a role based on seeing a very brief uh, uh, monologue that they've done and the very specific reasons that they think so. Um, but I think it is important to realize that there are rules of the game. If they ask you to come in and do a one-minute comedic monologue, there's a reason they're asking for that. Come in and do a one-minute comedic monologue. For two reasons. One is, it's what they're asking for, it's what they're looking for. But two, having to do with something else we've talked about, is a big part of what has to do with getting a part and having a career is being a person worth working with. And if you come and have not followed the simple instructions of the kind of monologue that you're going to do, there are a lot of people who are looking to cast you who are just going to raise a question and not in any malicious way, but if they can't bring me a one-minute monologue, 
are they going to be able to do anything else that I've asked them? Are they going to be interested in doing anything else that I asked them in the rehearsal process? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's just, you know, good to know. Uh, other things like that rule of thumb, don't look at the auditioner when you're doing your monologue. I know a lot of people who don't like that idea. You certainly can ask if they mind. But I think generally people who are there to see your audition don't like to be looked at. And uh, one, because you can't take notes. But two, I certainly find when someone is talking, when someone is uses me as their scene partner in an audition, I feel an obligation again. I want them to do well. So I'm trying to play the scene along with them. And I realize after they've gone, I kind of don't remember their audition because I was so busy being in the scene <laughs> that, I, uh, that I wasn't watching their audition the way that I think they would have wanted me to. Does anyone else have any of those sort of just kind of basic rules of the game etiquette things about what you do in an audition before we move on? I think you know, introducing yourself um, and, and not, like Jane was saying, sometimes she feels an obligation to rush and, you know, be aware of what's going on around you, but, you know, just basic civility and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, the same, oddly enough, the rules of going to an audition, I think, are the, the same social rules of meeting anybody else. <laughs> and it's not some secret code that you need to, to break. There's also these things about, you know, what, what rules to do, about whether to look them in the eye or not. Casting directors are aware of these rules, too. They understand what actors are allegedly out there, you know, <laughs> debating amongst themselves what to do. I, I like the rule of, of not looking at, at the casting director, and I wouldn't even bother asking. I would, I would simply, you know, uh, do it. <laughs> but simply not. And the thing is, if, if for some reason, you know, the casting, casting directors are human beings, too, and they understand what that debate is. They understand their, their, their profession. If for some reason they have a very specific reason why they need you to do the monologue to them, they'll ask you to. And you know what? I've done that. Yeah. I mean, I, there have been times mm-hmm. where someone have done something and, I, and I've asked them to deliver it to me for specific reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think you're... Uh, yeah, let them ask. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think, and this is a very specific thing, that, but there's something that becomes a convention. I'm not sure where it comes from that I think in some acting classes and things like that, but starting like with curtain... And oh. ending with scene. Oh no! At the, I, if you are coming to New York to be an actor, say, and that is something that has become something you've been taught, uh, you should unteach yourself that because it is something that is not generally done. And when somebody does it, it, it marks them as someone who has not been around a long time. <laughs> I, w- I want to share this with you. Um, in terms of choosing a monologue, you want to do something that's of your type, representative mm-hmm. of your type. And so it really is, let me backtrack a, a second. It's also, I'll keep, I'll keep advocating for this, that, that a performance is different than your audition and that you need to have a different skill set and that you're getting into your audition for your monologue just needs to be a much quicker process because you don't know what, what that process is going to be. You don't know if you'll be out in the, the office you know, in the waiting room for 15 minutes you don't know if you'll come right in and they'll want to talk to you for 10 minutes before you do the audition. You don't know if there'll be a huge rush outside and you walk right in and they need you to start immediately. So your your process, your triggers to get yourself going wherever you need to for that audition just need to be much different than you would for a performance where you're going to have time to get yourself relaxed and do the prep work you need to do. And as an actor, I think it's your responsibility to understand the differences between those venues and how to prepare yourself for them. And in terms of choosing your monologue, I can now go ahead and say you should choose something that's close to your type. I, I just met with uh, an agent 
who liked meeting me and wants to meet me again uh, in his office later uh, next week. But he asked me to do uh, a monologue for him, and it, that's always false. We're in his office. And I went, sure, and I had my trigger, went right into the monologue, did it. We get done, and the first thing he said was, it's really great. You're a really great actor, but you're not actory. And there's something about <laughs> there's something there's something to that in the fact that I felt successful in that audition because I am an actor, and I, I guess I probably have things in me that are actory, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that is. But what he was getting at was the sense that he saw me. He saw that I was a capable professional. He saw that I was an artist who had interesting things going on as an actor. But there wasn't that sense of now I will begin acting and I will completely change my entire body and presentation and become this thing yeah. because that's 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 false particularly in the venue of an audition that and someone's th- there's a, yes there is a small thing of etiquette that related to that and also to what kit was saying about the curtain scene business people who are auditioning you understand that there is a process that you have that you've done preparation to to be in this room and and present yourself to them. And they will be respectful of the fact that you had to do work to do that. That it isn't necessarily like instant on and like flip a switch and, and you go. But when you are presenting yourself, you have to be respectful of the time. And you can't take... My point is that some people come in and before they begin their monologue, they take this like long preparation moment. of, And I'm not saying like a moment because please do you know, make sure you're there and take a moment. But I'm talking about people who take minutes to before they begin their monologue and, and the people in the room are just waiting for you to start and that's not very respectful of them. So that is an etiquette thing. Be aware of that. And I also have seen often people take a moment before they go where that moment they're taking is clearly as much of the performance as the monologue is. That is about showing that you are a serious serious actor. actor. (laughs) And it's just not necessary. And again, I I think it gets back to that that critical point of people who are directors, who are casting directors, uh, who are agents, those are not easy jobs to get. These are not people who are working there because they couldn't get a job at Wendy's. They understand, they know what they're there to look for, and, and they can see, they're looking for it in your performance. There is not going to be a casting director out there worth auditioning for who's going to be impressed with the fact that you have to look down and close your eyes and put your, your hand to the bridge of your nose to think a moment before you start working. If you need to do that, then you need to do that. But you're not going to gain or lose any points. What they're looking for is what you do once you start working. And you might lose points if it feels like you're putting on a show for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they spend their day in a room with an actor. They'll know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think we've moved uh, pretty uh, directly into the, the concept of preparing uh, for an audition. Just talk briefly about monologues. And this is something we ought to have a whole, a whole separate episode to talk about. But what is it that makes a well-selected monologue? Tim, you touched on that it be appropriate for your type. Beyond that. I also think, and I, I, this might not be true for everyone, but I think, especially if they give you the parameters of like a one to two minute monologue, you're better off doing a kick-ass 45 second monologue mm-hmm. than a minute 50. Mm-hmm. 
because you can only lose people at that point. I think I think that I think to me is the most important rule of thumb of auditioning. Uh, what you struck on right there, which is again, as somebody who spends most of their time on the other side of the table, you literally know 15 seconds into someone's audition whether or not you want to see more of them. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, the only thing you can do is lose a callback. That's all you can do. Once I've decided this person is interesting and I would like to see more of them, the only thing you can do is convince me not to. And the other thing that I think is also really important is that I think very often casting directors, and we've been using casting directors, I think, interchangeably uh, as a term for whoever is auditioning you. Who's casting you. Yeah, whoever is casting you. I think in a huge number of cases, actors and and the casting people walk in with entirely different expectations of what the experience is. Because actors walk in with the goal, the specific goal for that audition, to get the role. And the casting people, the director, the, the casting director, on their first sight of you, what they are looking at is who they want to call back. You are auditioning for a callback and not a role. And I think that is something that is critically important. I, in very, very, very rare cases, have myself thought or talked to someone else in a rehearsal room who, after someone's first audition, have said they would be great for this part. What it always is, is we should definitely call them back. I want to see more of them. I want to give them to see what they do with this other part of the script. And I think that that's just such an important thing for actors to remember is you're not coming in there to show them every facet of your being that you think matches up to this role you're trying to get. You're trying to give them that one flash of inspiration that makes them think you are worth giving you a big chunk of the script and a few days to work with it and having you in to work with you for a half hour. Mm -hmm. That's what you want out of the audition. And again, going with what what you said, Jenny, if you can get away with a 30-second monologue, do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a good good monologue that will help you do that, to have that flash for the casting people, is something that's very active. If, it, if there's something in the monologue that, that you can be trying to achieve as the character and not just uh, reflecting or telling a story, mm-hmm. um, that's just a practical thing. If the monologue seems like it's telling someone a story for no purpose other than to tell the story, it's probably not a good monologue. To turn that, if you were telling the story to try to get the other person to do something, that might work. But try to find a monologue that is actually somebody who's trying to say words to achieve something. Yeah. I mean, it's like the rule of thumb when you're acting in a scene with a scene partner is that the scene is about the other person, not about what you feel, but about what you want the other person to feel. And I think, you know, you want to find a monologue where that is what the experience is about. It's about trying to convince someone, about trying to change someone. And you want to choose a monologue where you can do that in the vacuum of of not of the other person not being there. That is not entirely contingent on what their reaction is to what you're saying. Another type of monologue that you shouldn't do is cobbled together dialogue. Especially if you it's obviously cobbled together dialogue that you pause and wait for the non existent person to talk. Absolutely. I, I actually <laughs> I, I misunderstood what you were starting to say, which is I I do think it's yeah, fine to I have cut a together of, certainly yeah, cut together large pieces. You know, make a monologue together, of, yeah. Yeah. 
But yes, no, you should not. It, they're a monologue that goes like, what do you mean? No, I never said that. I'm just like, <laughs> that is probably... This may move slightly into to a different question. I think as important, which is which is you know how do you how do you prepare your monologue? But there's you should always be searching. This goes to my same point regarding actors. But you should always be searching for monologues so that if somebody calls you and and have several that are available to you. So if somebody calls you in for something tomorrow, later today, you have something that you can go in with. I've met again particularly younger actors, but you know there'll be furiously going through a play and I'll be like what are you doing I'm looking for a monologue and what they're looking for is huge massive chunks of text and I I just I don't know why you would do that to yourself it goes to Jenny's point and Kit's point about the length of a monologue it goes to all of our points about type in that you know again if if this is the approach some actors are taking uh, it 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 it's not surprising that they find the audition process so Stressful frustrating. If the night, if the night before you spent the whole night up memorizing three pages from the the new Richard Greenberg play, to come in and and woo, I just got that memorized. You spend the entire time just getting the words out of your mouth in front of people, mm-hmm. and you took up four and a half minutes doing it. Uh, you know, you you're probably not going to have a real successful audition. I think. In that, that same sense that actors constantly need to be tuning their instrument, and I'm making air quotes, um, they, part of that is, is, is preparing yourself to get jobs, which means in, in terms of uh, with monologues, constantly be searching and constantly be working on them and constantly evaluating, is this appropriate to my type? Is this still appropriate to my type? Mm-hmm. This is a monologue I've been doing for 10 years. Is it still appropriate to my type to be doing that monologue now? Sometimes yes, often no. I, I mean, these are questions that that I think actors, if they want to see their 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 career as, as a business and as an art, you need to constantly be evaluating and constantly be working. And I think that idea of the the portfolio of monologues that you have and are prepared to do, and yeah, not only that you have, but that you are prepared to do, because you never know. It doesn't happen very, very often, but it does happen that you will do something in the audition and will ask, do you have something else? And I actually think it's, it's too bad Jane had to leave because she actually has a great story. Just two weeks ago, I think she went in uh, to audition for a production of uh, Streetcar Named Desire to play Stella. And the director said, you know what? I am also directing later in the year a production of Guys and Dolls I see you do musicals do you have your music with you because there's a piano over here Um, weird things can happen and you should be prepared Um, you should be prepared with things that show the various sides of yourself and the product that you I think that was one of the most embarrassing parts of my life is (laughs) I think it was literally probably the first professional audition that I went on years ago and it was for uh, like a short film and I did my monologue I had you know gotten it a couple weeks in advance done so much you know I could do in two weeks and I did the monologue and they said that was great do you have a comedic monologue and I said nope (laughs) (laughs) they were like have a good day I said you too And (laughs) and that was it because I had my one monologue that I had rehearsed and practiced and that was the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> there is had a, a pretty good life. <laughs> <laughs> Are there anything else specific to, to monologues that we should talk about? We talk, and we should talk a little bit about uh, preparing sides also. Jenny Curlin clearly wants to talk about preparing sides. <laughs> I just, I, I, I am a fan of, 
of the sides and of reading cold sides. I just feel like I have the most fun doing it, so it always makes me comfortable when someone is like, there'll be sides, or here's some sides, go ahead. It makes me feel comfortable as an actor because I, I feel best doing that. So it just gets me excited. Sides are great, and there's a whole skill set to, to, to learning how to use sides and how to audition with sides. And uh, again, I, I've spoken to actors who are frustrated by them because I think it gets to the same thing. They're trying to achieve some sort of expectation with the director. And how can they? They just got the side, especially if it's a cold read. How can how can they how can they get it right? And the, the answer isn't to get it right. The answer is to make choices that that enhance uh, an understanding of who you are as an actor and as a person and and as an artist and. I think cold sides are actually for me the best because if if you exactly. have an understanding, you're really make a working. strong choice and go. You're really <laughs> working. Then you're really working. Now yeah. you've got somebody. You know, it's again. If, if you want to use a musician analogy, fine. Let's jam. Right. Let's jam. And again, the idea that you're someone worth working with. I, I, again, I, I've met with actors who have, when they're given cold uh, sides, cold, they're like, oh, really? And they get jammed up. And for me, that's as Jenny said, it's huge relief. Because, again, the, the casting directors or whoever is in the room are not stupid. They know they just gave you the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not expecting a full performance. They're not expecting you to have the play 20 seconds after be given, being given you know, three pages of it. What they're looking for is, are you an actor worth working with? Are you, are you going to make bold choices? Are you going to be receptive to notes? Are you going to be somebody who's going to... There's going to be a level of... Of joy in just working with other people. Yeah, and I, I think that that's—I mean—that's so important. That idea of making bold choices with your sides, and whether they're cold or whether they're not. The cold sides, of course, being ones that you don't have time to prepare. If there's anyone who is not an actor who's listening, but that so much of what that is is, I think, the mistake that a lot of people make again is in preparing their sides or or. And even if it's a split second they have with a, a, a cold side, is they're trying to be right for the part, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, you're going to be whether you're right or not is something that is beyond your control and is going to ultimately be the deciding factor with whether or not you get this part. But to set yourself out among the people who are potentially right for the part, the goal I think is to be interesting is make a strong choice. If it's a cold reading, make a strong choice and commit to it. If you get halfway through the, through the scene and realize that that choice you made is not really what's going on, instead of backtracking and trying to fix it, stick with the choice and see what happens. You know, drive through and, and be as committed to, to what it is you thought you were doing at the beginning. And if it's wrong, it really doesn't matter. The really important thing, especially in days where you've got people sitting in a room and watching dozens and dozens and potentially hundreds of people auditioning is to be memorable, mm-hmm. and for a good reason. There are people who are memorable because you're like, well, that person is weird, and they're not <laughs> going to get the part. But the people who are going to get called back are the people who it's like, oh, remember that person who was in here an hour and a half ago? That was really funny what they did. I would also argue that the, the, the commitment to the choice is more important maybe than to anything else. It, I know there's actors, and I've done this, where you're afraid of making a particular choice because you say, oh, that's the stereotypical choice. That's what everybody would do. And maybe that's the case, but I, I don't avoid that instinct either. If that's the first choice that's coming to me that seems interesting for me to play or is what makes sense to me to play, that quote-unquote stereotypical choice will read differently on different actors. And I think something that, that you have talked about, Tim, uh, in the past, and I think is, is really right, 
about size, but I think it applies to monologues too, is to make a really strong choice with the very beginning of it. Yes. Is to come in strong. A lot of people, uh, I mean, a, a lot of actors will make the mistake. They say, well, I want to be able to build to something. But the fact of the matter is twofold, which is one, again, people make a decision very quickly about whether they want to see more of you. And it's hard to win them back. That, that if you have a minute-long thing that gets really great at the end, there is still, if the beginning of it was muddy or slow or, or, or not as interesting as the end, that's part of the memory of it. Part of the memory is, it's weird that it doesn't work as much the other way. That if someone comes in and knocks you out and then sort of peters out a little bit, that somehow feels more, quote-unquote, forgivable than somebody who... You're thinking they're not that interesting, and then they kind of do something really interesting at the end. You're like, well, is that is that a fluke, mm-hmm. or is that what they're really about? And 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 the other thing is just on a technical element of things that sometimes you're not going to be able to finish the side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they give you a side, and they you know it, it's it's so long that that they don't have time to let everyone go all the way through, and they they go they will let you go through it until they've got a sense of you and, and what they need to know about you, and then they'll stop you. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking, but wait a minute, I was half a page from when I was going to get interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of your thing. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also something to be said about making that bold choice at the beginning because that will fuel the rest of your choices. Particularly, you know, if, if you're doing a monologue, you know, if you come in fired up, and, and commit to your choice. That's going to fuel the rest of that monologue, and you you have a much better chance, I think, of staying interesting um, and staying committed to your choice. And if you're doing sides, especially if you're with somebody that you haven't read with them before and are not clear on on what you're going to get, planning your performance is probably a really horrible idea because you have no idea what the other person is going to give you. Um, and there's different ways you can work with that. If you're working with a reader who's giving you nothing, which I almost never get. I hear that, well, if the reader may give you nothing, I almost never get a reader who gives me nothing. Um, uh, if, if that's the case, you could sort of, I guess, plan your audition, although I don't know what the, the casting director is supposed to get from that if the reader's giving you nothing and you're inventing responses that are, that are not there. But in, <laughs> you know, in most cases, the reader's going to start giving you stuff back, and it's a much more interesting... Uh, read. I think it's a much more interesting process for you as the actor and for the casting director if you come in with a bold choice and somebody else throws a bold choice back at you and you see where the scene goes rather than building a performance that has not been rehearsed. You you actually touched on something that I, I think is is it just a huge misconception, which is the idea of the, the, uh, the reader who gives you nothing. Those reader positions are actually pretty coveted. Because they are an opportunity for an actor to sit in front of a casting director or a director for an afternoon and act in front of them. That actually is something that people really seek out the opportunity to do. Um, and uh, I just find it so interesting that that, that misconception is, is so widespread because I just found it hasn't been the case. And there have actually been a, a few cases um, where <laughs> I've been in a room where, without question, the best actor I saw all day was the person the reading the sides. Yeah. I, I can't articulate that strongly enough that I have heard a million times how there's readers out there who they may give you nothing. I have never, ever, I think that might ever. be more on a, a more more amateur level where you just, like, get your friend to, yeah. like, come in and read because all your actor friends are auditioning. Yeah. I, don't mean to, I don't mean to throw dust to the wind, but... Uh, <laughs> how would we do that? <laughs> but I, I actually just had uh, an audition with um, a casting director, and I met uh, with the casting associate. 
he actually, they were running really behind. It was like 40 minutes after I was scheduled to see him that I, I got in there and saw him. And he was reading with me. And he was reading really, really fast just to get through the lines to, to hear what I would do. And it actually struck me. And I was like, oh, this is weird. And I used it. And there was one moment that I had been struggling with and preparing where the the character that I was responding to gets hurt, and so I'm supposed to say, oh, are you okay? And, and it was kind of feeling disingenuous when I was working with it and I was trying to connect it. And he was reading so fast that before I knew it, he went, God damn it! I was, and I jumped on it and said, are you okay? And it was, the, it was the one moment that I thought was probably read the most genuine because I, w- I was still reacting to what he was doing, even mm-hmm. though he was just reading really fast through his lines. So even if someone's not giving you anything, they're kind of... They're giving, st- you, they're giving you something. They're and you can still something. respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of other types of preparation, one thing that I, I think is really important and people don't talk about enough, is, is basic sort of research that, you know, depending on how many auditions you're, you're getting, um, you may be able to do more or less. But um, what kind of research do we think it's, it's useful to walk in? What is it useful to look up, say, before you come into a room? It's good to know about the company that is holding the audition, uh, the director. Um, anybody, if you know anybody who's associated with the project already, to know a little bit about them, they may well be there and you can have a better conversation with them if you have some knowledge about who they are and what they've done and what they're looking for. Not necessarily what they're looking for, but what kind of work they do. If they're a company that does like classic works with a twist or something that you can know that that's what they, that's probably what this is going to be. Or, you know, if it's not even a genre thing, but they're always looking for like unknowns or names or whatever you that you can know more about them you're better prepared for what they're going to throw at you in the situation and we were talking about general meetings earlier but if you're going in for a general meeting and meeting with a casting director at cbs or something like that you should know the shows that are on cbs yeah because they may ask you what's your favorite show or yeah i mean they may just ask you, you anything sure it's on CBS. <laughs> absolutely because that would be terrible <laughs> Yeah, and if you know if it's for an agent, you know kind of the same thing. You know other people that they represent, or if if you can find out if they represent other people who are like you or not, that would be a good thing. If they didn't represent anyone like you, and if they represent someone you know, yeah, yeah. call that person. Right, right. Um, find out what you what you can about that person. Mention that you know that person. I think one of the things that that is really useful to remember about the quote-unquote people on the other side of the table is that they are people. Yeah. And that sounds weird, but I do think, again, uh, especially when actors are, aren't getting the foothold they want, there's this idea that they are these, you know, faceless gatekeepers. And they aren't. There, There is something about you meet someone and you discover that, you know, oh, I was directed in a show by this person who I know you know. You know what? I find that person more interesting a little bit suddenly. I mean, it, that there are things that people uh, are attracted to associations. And I don't think it's tricky. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you talk about things that you have in common, things that you know about them. People, and I, I feel like this is going to sound differently than I mean it, but people, people do like to talk about themselves. If you know you're having a meeting with someone and are able to look up and see something that they, oh, this director directed the show that you really liked... I mean, you don't want to stick it in there, but you know. But but if you if if it's in a situation where, you know, it comes up that by the way, I saw this thing that you did and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. You know what? 
if, especially if you mean it, you are actually more likely to get a callback. You, yeah. you, you actually, well, you're not guaranteed for several one. reasons. Yeah, yeah. is one is that it was polite. Yeah. You know, a, a nice thing, a nice compliment to give someone, you know, whether you meant it or not. But it was a nice thing to say, so you're a more civil person for having said it. And two is, it allows them to picture you in another way, mm-hmm. as somebody who goes to see plays. So that's another piece of information about yourself that you've given over. And it's a positive one. You know, you go to see shows, and you like them, you know. Yeah. It just, it adds to who you are. And it makes the, like you said about associations... People like to know who you are in relation to them, and that gives them another piece of information. Yeah, and and I will also say just one thing that that all that really struck me a while ago, and I, I was working on a show that was a pretty big show. I mean, it was a you know big contract kind of a thing, and I remember the choreographer when they were selecting people, um, dancers. One of them, he said, is a terrific dancer. I'm not sure if he's totally right for this show, but. He's not equity, and he really should be. And I'd like to find a way to use him because I was just so impressed with him, and he was such a nice, nice person. And that idea, that for whatever reason, moved me so much that this person, who all of these people, hundreds of people who came into audition for him, imagined he was the gatekeeper to keep them away from their dreams, as you said, Tim. Mm-hmm. But there's just this incredibly human, which is, is foolish because he's an incredibly human person. But <laughs> but that but that his impulse was to help. Was to help because yeah. it's a nice thing to help. And I think to realize that the vast majority of people who you are going to go in and audition for are people who would like to help if they can. And if you give them an opportunity to that makes sense, they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's okay to ask. It's okay to write a letter to a director you admire and say, I really love your work. I'd love to come in for the next thing you're, 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 casting. you're casting. You would be surprised at how often that works. You really would. That, that kind of thing actually works an awful lot. I mean, I certainly have gotten emails and stuff like that after a show that I've done, and I don't think I've ever gotten an email from an actor who saw a show and wrote and said they'd like to work with me where I did not make a point to call them in for whatever the next thing I was auditioning for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 about being a person and a person worth working with. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the same thing we keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. You should also know as much as you can about the show that you're auditioning for. If it's, you know, something from the canon or, you know, that you can get at the library or the bookstore. Read it if you can and, you know, know what roles you might be appropriate for uh, if you don't already know what you're auditioning for. Uh, If it's a new play, if there's other things available by the playwright, see if you can read other works by the playwright. And this is something that has to... uh, something about your monologue preparation that I was just thinking of. You should know where the monologue that you're doing comes from because they're probably going to ask you. So if you got it out of a book that is a book of monologues, you should probably know a little bit more about the play that it came from because they probably know the play and might want to talk to you about it. And it's just another one of those things of of being a prepared actor. Can we... Back up just half a step, because I think this has to do with, with preparation as well, but it also deals with monologues, is that if you know who you're auditioning for, know what they've worked on, mm-hmm. and understand how the choices you make in regards to, to like the monologue you're doing may affect that. 
one of the worst auditions I ever had when I was very young. I first moved to Chicago. I had just graduated from undergrad. I, I walked into the room, and I don't know why I had picked... This is terrible. I can't believe I'm admitting this. I had picked Teach's opening monologue for American Buffalo, which is one of the most famous openings ever and is so ingrained that there's a certain way in which you do this, which was made famous by Al Pacino, and it's a famous piece of, of literature. It's, it should not have been done by, by, by anybody. When you can... Av- yes, but well, when you can, avoid very familiar... Avoid very familiar pieces of work. Do not come in and do Jack Nicholson's speech from A Few Good Men. Because <laughs> even if you do it well, all you've done is remind people of Jack Nicholson. I have had people do that. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm 22 or whatever. I come in and I, I, I'm doing Teach from American Buffalo. And, uh, of course, I was too young to have actually seen uh, Mr. Pacino do American Buffalo or had seen any production of American Buffalo. And the casting director I worked for had actually worked in some capacity on that production and began and just talked to me the entire time about what a pleasure it was to work with Al. <laughs> and I, I obviously had to get called back for anything in that. But understanding your business and understanding your craft, part of that is understanding the people who are in the room and, and how you, every choice you make may or may not affect you know uh, uh, what what happens in that room. And there's also something I think about that idea of selecting a monologue that you don't you probably don't want to do to be or not to be. I mean there's most people have baggage that actually that monologue in particular most people actually have who have worked in theater a long time actually have baggage associated with that in one way or the other. That said, especially where classical monologues are concerned I do think people put a little bit too much pressure on themselves to find something no. that no one else is doing. Right. Because you especially when you're do- doing Shakespeare, there's a finite number of things that you can do. And I am amazed. And I don't do something in the water, I guess. But every time I audition uh, people for a Shakespeare production, there is some monologue, and it's usually a female monologue, but some monologue that eight of the women all do the same monologue. And it's never the same one as it was the earlier show. But there's some I don't like know what it is. Yeah, that, that creates a trend to be uh, to be doing uh, whatever the monologue is from as you like it. But the other thing is is I think something that can be a really positive thing, especially if you're interested in working on new work. But even if you're not, if you are friends with playwrights, if you know new plays that are not published, that can be a great place to draw monologues mm-hmm. from, uh, where you don't, you know, where you know no one is going to have heard mm-hmm. it. That said, I also have seen actors sort of rest on that a bit with the idea is that they know they have a monologue nobody has heard and therefore they will kind of let that carry the day. Well, no, that it's sort of that they they sort of rest on their laurels of having picked a great monologue without actually doing... Preparing it. Yeah. And I also find, (laughs) and it may be a personal bias, but it's strange because I love it when people do, do monologues from new works. And it's great when they can say, well, it's actually from this unpublished play you know, Bill Smith Goes to Town by Tim Davis or, or, or whatever it is. But, I love that play. <laughs> but whenever, and, and I've, I've had it happen a lot, it's like, well, it's this play my friend wrote. I don't know that you necessarily have to lead with it's this play my friend wrote. Or that because it's, uh, you wrote. Or that you wrote. That's a very... <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it's weird because, again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing technically wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing a monologue from a play that your friend wrote. 
Or that you wrote. Or but that you wrote, although there's some... That's always going to raise some question, I think. But you don't have to admit it. It is, yeah. But it's interesting, though. Uh, <laughs> this sounds so subtle and so picky, but since we're on the subject, is I I do a monologue from a play that is unpublished uh, by an established playwright who is a friend of mine, and the a friend of mine part. Sometimes I mention mm-hmm. it, it's sort of casual, but it's it's always incidental. Yeah. This is a play by Graham Gillis, who works at the Ensemble Studio Theater. Uh, and he's a friend of mine. You know, <laughs> that sounds some odd way. That sounds a lot more professional than oh, it's written by a friend of mine who happens to be an EST and is an established playwright. I just literally did a Graham Gillis monologue for uh, Kelly Gillespie at MTC, and she said that's a really great monologue and a really great monologue from you. What is that? I've never heard that. That's great, whatever. And so I said Graham Gillis, and he works over at EST, and she and it made for five minute of fodder, you know, talking back and forth about mm-hmm. EST and my relationship with them and Graham Gillis, and it and was he's a, a great, great playwright. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was a, yeah, and it, it was a it was a great thing, and she had never heard it and. And really liked it, and we should probably move towards wrapping up. Be- before we do, is there anything anyone wants to say about getting adjustments in an audition? I would love to. Adjustments are always good. They are always good, even if if a casting director, if their adjustment is to do it the exact opposite of the way you just did it, it's always good. What an adjustment means is that they are interested in working with you. What the adjustment really is about is seeing if you can take direction. If you are somebody who is has a facility as an actor. Did you just prepare this monologue and it is in lockstep or you prepared this side a certain way and you are absolutely immovable from the choices you've made and you have blown your wad in that audition? Or, you know, can they can they give you direction and you can continue to make interesting choices? Again, we come back to the same thing over and over again. Are you an actor worth working with? Adjustments, hands down, carte blanche are always good. Nobody gives you an adjustment unless they're interested in seeing more of you. Again, we we just talked about monologues where we said, you know, in a lot of cases, the shorter the better. You don't want to do a five-minute piece because it just gives them an excuse to not cast you. If they're giving you an adjustment, they are taking time out of their schedule, out of their time, out of their energy to work with you further. It's nothing but a great thing. And I think actors can sort of have the knee jerk of, oh, they're asking me to change because I've done something wrong. Right. It's, no, they're a, asking it's you not to a change correction. Because you have done something right and they want to see more. And I think something else that's, that can be a, a, a helpful thing to remember with adjustments is it is almost always a yes and proposition. It doesn't mean get rid of what you did and do this instead. It's you've, Especially if you've taken the time to prepare, keep the work that you did and add this new thing to the mix. Because, again, they liked what you did. They would like to see what that looks like with this additional piece of information. Before we, uh, we, we totally wrap up, are there any general thoughts on, on auditioning, things that we have not touched on, things that you wish someone had told you when you were first starting out, things about both being successful in terms of getting the job or also in terms of kind of keeping your head on straight as you do undertake this lifestyle, which is essentially always being out and interviewing for work. The most important part for me, the audition, is that this is the lot we have chosen. And 
it's something that is a necessary part of the job to get to do the, the art that you want to do or get to have the career you want to get. And I see no reason to not find joy in, in going auditions and the, the opportunity to meet people in, in my field and, and meet other people who are interested in the same type of things that I'm interested in. But if for whatever reason you can't find a joy in that, I think that you have to be resolute in understanding that this is a part of the gig. And even if you cannot be joyful about it and enjoy doing it, become proficient at it, become skilled at it. Yeah. And I think that just really strikes on something that's so important because it's odd. I have had conversations about auditioning with actor and director and playwright friends of mine for years. And it's interesting how this conversation is different from ones I had five years ago and five years before that. Because I think something that we have touched on a lot is the idea that if you are trying to be an actor for a living, it's a much longer game than simply trying to get a role in a play. Yeah. The vast majority of the auditions that you go on, you will not get the role. The vast majority, you will probably not get a callback. And the incredibly vast majority, you will not get the role. But it doesn't mean that those 97 out of 100 times that you go out and don't get the part are not or cannot be important parts to building your career. Yeah. Um, there are, steps. I know, I can think of several people who are incredibly important collaborators of mine who I've worked with on important and big projects who I did not cast the first time that I saw them. And people who I remembered and thought I want to work with that person and it's not appropriate to work with them on this one, but I came and found them when I found something that was right to work with them on. You never know what the most important audition you will go on will be until right. potentially years later. Which kind of underscores the thing we were saying at the beginning about how this is a chance to meet people. Yeah. And you're never going to meet them unless you get in the same room with them, and this is your chance to be in the same room with them, doing something you're both interested in. And the one other thing that I would... I said it before, but to me it is the central most important thing to remember is when you're going into an audition, your goal is to get the call back, yeah. not to get the role. It's just such a mindset thing that that is absolutely the mindset that the ca that the director or the casting director or the agent has in mind. They're looking, do they want to meet you again? And if you go in with your goal to be someone who they want to meet again and see more of, I think you will be much more successful than if you come in there gunning for a role that you're not going to get without having at least four or five or six more meetings with those people. Mm -hmm. Right. Get the next meeting. That's what you're there for. And when you get the first callback, your goal is to get the second callback. Yeah. And so on and so on. And if I, I think if you keep that in mind, eventually they will surprise you by giving you the role when you never asked for it. You just asked for the next meeting. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. All right. So I think that's a good place to leave off for uh, Jenny and Jen and Tim and uh, Jane, who we hope is off having a successful audition in all of the ways that an audition can be successful. I am Kit Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. If you have not already subscribed, please go to iTunes and do so. If you would like to send us any email, please email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. Uh, you can go to cryhavoccompany.org if you want to learn a bit more about the company. And if you are interested in supporting our work and including this podcast, uh, we currently have a fund drive ongoing Adopt a Square Foot where you can, for $38, adopt one square foot of our working space in New York for a full year 
a, a great way to, to help out in a deeply appreciated way in these uh, difficult times that we're all in. And uh, you can go to the website, again, www.cryhavocompany.org to find out uh, how to do that if you're interested. So for all of us, thanks again. Uh, please subscribe. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Hope you all have very successful auditions if you're going on them. And we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavocompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavocompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.